To the sleeper and the bust. This is episode number 165. I am your host, Nicholas Minix. I almost said Eno Saris as if I was impersonating for a second there. But uh, joining me, thankfully, is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing today? Hello, it's Nicholas Minix. <laughs> that was an excellent Nicholas Minix imp- impression. <laughs> uh, minus the minus the relative lack of. Fantasy baseball wisdom, uh, <clears throat> and uh, we have some uh, some a, few, a couple of I think very interesting topics to talk about today, and a number of little things going on in the world of fantasy baseball. Uh, this is episode number one sixty five again, and uh, I'm a little excited. We have a couple of uh, requested topics. I'm uh, quite interested to touch on as well. But uh, first, we're going to start with uh, just some. Something minor, because uh, we don't get to talk about hitters quite as often, or we don't talk about hitters quite as often. I suppose we can talk about whatever the heck we want, uh, but uh, we don't talk about hitters quite as often. But Brad Miller, a sometime favorite, sometimes favorite of the program, has uh, started to really heat up in the last few days. I'm not sure specifically. I was, I was trying to figure out specifically what he's done differently or if he's doing anything differently or if it's just uh, – the, the fact that sitting on the bench has given him a lot of time to kind of clear the mind. Uh, but uh, he, he has played, and and Lloyd McClendon has rewarded him with playing time here in recent uh, days. I would say probably in the last, about the last four days, he is hitting well over 500 and with a lot of power. Um, and I happen to pick him up in Towers because basically I had nothing to lose, and I could definitely use another bit of Winfielder. Uh, but is this a guy that you said, I mean, it's, it's hard to put any faith in it, but this is also the time of year. Uh, that say, you know what, there's not really a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of time for me to evaluate whether I should pick a guy up like this. Is this based on, because Chris Taylor has not performed poorly, uh, but Brad Miller has just uh, been really hot in a few days. Is this a guy that you would run out to pick up in a, in a very deep mixed league? Oh, I'm so angry. <laughs> I'm so angry. I yeah, yeah, but but uh, I mean, but what do you think of Miller? Whether you're angry or not? Oh, I'm angry about Miller. <laughs> I, I I drafted him in AL Labor this year, and I stuck with him forever. And then uh, recently, all my outfielders got healthy, and uh, I had a decision to make between Jordan Schaefer and Brad Miller and uh, and Marwin Gonzalez. So one of them had to go, and uh, <clears throat> I just thought. You know, Chris Taylor's playing well. They're not going to take him out of the role. Um, and uh, I dropped Brad Miller, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, this is uh, this is really upsetting to me. But this is sort of what I thought he could do. I mean, I, you know, two homers and a triple um, since uh, the calendar turned to September. Uh, that's a little bit much. Um, you know, that would be... You know, like 25 homers over the course of the year. That would be a really nice slugging percentage. He's also still sitting, I think, against lefties. Uh, So he's definitely not a full starter. But uh, given that he's the left-hander in this scenario, uh, that means he'll get two-thirds of the playing time and uh, two-thirds of something like a 250 batting average and um, 15 uh, homers and 15 steals. That was sort of his upside, I thought, going into the season. 
Um, makes him like, I guess, a 250-10-10 guy. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know. He, he already has 10 homers on the season. So maybe we underestimated his power output and, uh, and underestimated how much he would strike out. Um, so that would mean that he would be more of a low batting average, high power guy than we kind of expected. Yeah, I think that's, uh, it's, it might be fair to say, yeah, as far as the, the striking out, I, I'm a little disappointed slash surprised. Um, and I mean, I noticed I, I'm, I have to check, uh, versus rest of, uh, season, but I mean, there's a fair amount of, a fair amount of reach, uh, that's come along with this in the last few days. And that's, yeah, that's actually unusual. And, Maybe uh, when we talked about this with other players, some guys are maybe not as aggressive as they should be, um, and there's, he's not really taking. I mean, he's he's definitely a guy who's taken his fair share of walks, especially in the minor leagues. He's uh, definitely demonstrated that um, he could do that in the, the majors, but not quite to the extent of double-digit percentages in the minors uh, that we saw year to year. But uh, the, the strikeouts, first of the twenty-three percent strikeouts and. Um, Probably like a league average reach rate, uh, or a little, slightly above. Uh, but the swinging strike rate is has really not gone up much from where it was last season. And so perhaps, perhaps it's just a case of a player who was just not quite as aggressive as he should have been, or or selectivity is his pitch identification is, is something of that nature, where where he's uh, really not. Uh, selective in the right manner, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, no, I, there's something that changed. I just ran his uh, his heat maps for before um, the end of August and after. And uh, the big thing that stands out is that um, he stopped swinging <clears throat> at the pitch high and in. Um, and uh, that, that's a, a real big difference for him. So... Um, <clears throat> If you look across the league, almost uh, almost every hitter has a problem with the pitch high and tight. Uh, so just just uh, stop just to like stop swinging at that pitch is a big deal, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, in general, he has. If you look at his heat map in terms of swing rate, he has a nice um, core, a small box in the middle of the strike zone uh, where he swings more than average. So. Uh, I think he has a good idea of, of where to swing, and you can see that from his walk and strikeout rates in the minors. So I think he has a good base. And so what he what I think what happened this year is that uh, pitchers found that he would swing at the high and tight for some reason and just kept throwing it to him there. And then maybe recently he just said, you know what, I don't need to swing at that pitch anymore. <laughs> um, and uh, And that's probably led to better outcomes. I mean, I think... It's really hard to hit the high and tight pitch. Every every batter has that hole, but it's really hard for the pitcher to hit that pitch. And I think often it's a ball. So I think in you know most often it makes sense just not to swing at that pitch. Yeah, it's it's often a ball, or it's often mistaken for uh, uh, I don't want to say head hunting because it's not always that, but just uh, uh, right. There's there's been this culture that's kind of been perpetuated only probably in the last couple of years or the last several years that people questioned the, the logistics of it. It seems like this is my impression based on the media is that, I mean, you know, pitchers are saying like, we want to, you know, what's wrong with us pitching inside? Um, the, you know, the, the culture, the, you know, the culture of uh, when there's a hit batsman or there has to be a payback or something like that, like, 
uh, and that's kind of silly anyway. But uh, anyway, the point is, I guess, just that um, that's yeah, that's a difficult that's a difficult spot for the hitter and for the pitcher. Yeah, I think it's, yeah and, and because of that heightened awareness of, of pitching inside uh, that you're talking about, I think it's harder to steal strikes there from framing or whatever. Right. Uh, it's also logistically harder to steal strikes there because uh, Jonathan Mukroy told me that it's better to frame when you're you're short. Um, he says to to get the low ball. You want to be a short catcher, uh, and you want to put your glove down low and make it look like he hit exactly that target. I think all of that's harder if you're a short catcher and you're sort of reaching up. Um, I don't think, I think that like, you know, that might just look like a ball type action. So in any case, I think that you, if you look at called strike charts, you know, there's a, you know, the, 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 the umpires don't reach out far, um, into the hands of a hitter, um, especially uptight. So, yeah, like we're saying, it's a hard place to live. Uh, the Chris Youngs, Jared Weavers, uh, Sean Doolittles of the world do live there sometimes. Um, but, um, you know, it's a hard place to live because I think for the most part, the better hitters just don't swing out. And I have a, I actually have a little piece on this coming up tomorrow on Instagrafts where I asked Chris Young, what are the characteristics of highball hitters and, and who are some highball hitters that are good? And uh, he said to look for sort of a level swing. He said Brian Dozier is the guy. Um, so if you look at Brian Dozier's swing, he has a level swing and it's a level follow through. Um, and he, <clears throat> he said for some reason, those guys can really get on top of that ball uh, where it's the kind of the uppercut swing, the Josh Reddicks of the world uh, that can that have no chance of, of getting that ball in their hands. Yeah. And there, well, that's and. I mean, physically speaking, when you just—I mean, when you watch when you watch a, a slow mo uh, video of a swing or something like that, you can just—I think it's very easy to understand the physics of that, at least from a simplistic standpoint. Yeah, yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and speaking of uh, speaking of pitchers who have been uh, well, not entirely, but. Uh, Sonny Gray has been struggling here for the past uh, his past few starts, uh, at least <clears throat> until last night, uh, where he had he had some pretty good uh, results. Uh, but uh, going seven innings and giving up only two <laughs> two earned runs, um, he did walk three, uh, only struck out four. But that's not that's not been entirely out out, out of the norm. Basically, a little a little bit over the past month, uh, which equates to seven starts. He's had a 5.32 ERA, and the components aren't really that much better. Uh, 18 walks and 27 strikeouts as well. That's uh, he's kind of been a little off, and um, I've had a couple of Twitter questions about him. I'm sure, you know, has probably seen similar things about it. You know, is this basically some questions? Is this where is this coming from, kind of thing? And uh, I mean, I, I saw a couple of interesting things. We're interested to see what Eno's thoughts are on that uh, to start with. I think, for one, the main thing is that, uh, no, I mean, okay, maybe Clayton Kershaw. There are very <laughs> few true talent, like, two ERA guys. So anytime you see a guy uh, with, like, a two ERA, you can expect some regression. I know there's, you know, I'm not saying regression to, you know, league average where it's, like, a four ERA, but, you know, you know, I don't think that his, you know, 2.67 ERA last year in 64 innings pitched was necessarily his true talent, is what I'm saying. 
Right. So, you know, right now he's pitching to a 3-2-2 ERA and a 3-5 FIP. In that ballpark, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he beat his FIP. It's a homer-suppressing ballpark. Um, he's got a lot of great ground balls. Uh, he should be able to suppress homers. He, you know, the one thing I'm a little bit surprised about, he hasn't struck out as many batters this year, but, uh, I do think it's hard to make a living striking batters out with a curveball. Yeah. I just think that, uh, you know, it has the lowest swing rate in baseball. You know, people, you know, a lot of, a lot of batters just choose not to swing at the curveball when, once they notice it's a curveball. I mean, Sanfold even just told me that the other day. And so, you know, <clears throat> if you just if you don't if you don't swing at it, then it's hard to get uh, swings and misses. Um, and I think that's a little bit of what uh, Gray is figuring out this year. And so he's had to experiment with his other pitches a little bit. And that's something uh, you might see when you look at uh, his player page uh, in terms of his pitch types. Yeah, that's that's actually. I mean, basically the thing I noticed is that uh, the curveball has uh, been for the past handful of starts or so. The curveball has been getting uh, f- fewer swings and misses, um, and I think I mean, like you said, I mean, I think it's it seems like it's a hard pitch to kind of live on in, in terms of that, is because it's it's pretty was pretty much regularly from start to start was regularly in double digits frequently would jump into the twenties, but uh, always in kind of in the teens as far as uh, and but he's a lot of single digit percentages as far as whiff rates uh, by game. And he's faced a few tough opponents. I mean, he had to face uh, the Angels in there twice in this stretch. I mean, this is probably a little, you know, a little related, obviously. Uh, but uh, uh, it's <clears throat> I, I maybe, and then I start to you know wonder is it maybe it's, it's it's a minor command issue or something like that. But like you said, I mean, and this is it's basically the it's the pitch that he's relied on most uh, in his career, basically for swings, uh, swinging strikes. So. Um, maybe he's not necessarily a strikeout pitcher. It doesn't mean he's not going to be a, a pretty good pitcher, uh, regularly speaking. Well, I think it's, it's something that happens with the pitcher with limited rep, rep, uh, repertoire uh, or arsenal is that that you uh, you start to eliminate as a hitter. You start to eliminate it. So you say, you know, anytime he throws me the curveball, I'm just going to pass. You know, yeah. and I'm going to keep I'm going to keep waiting until I see fastball sinker. Um, and uh, he doesn't really throw the changer side that much. So, you know, if he surprised me with one of those, good on him. I'm still waiting on the fastball. So I think, um, you know, if you look at his swing percentage over the year on the curveball, it's generally sort of a decline from early in the season. The first month is around 60%. Um, and then, you know, since uh, the swing rate has been, uh, you know, hovering around 45 to 50%. But that's actually uh, been... It's fairly steady for the last, uh, you know, since about June um, in terms of, uh, uh, of swing rate. So what's actually happened a little bit more is that people are, are whiffing less when they swing, uh, which uh, that surprised me a little bit. Um, and uh, I don't really see, I guess the, the curve has uh, slowed down a little bit, but, it, you know, it's usually it's average 82, 83. That hasn't changed much. Um, in terms of horizontal movement, it hasn't changed much. And in terms of uh, vertical movement, it hasn't changed much. So I feel like mm, generally uh, this is just people getting used to uh, what he does. And he hasn't quite developed that next wrinkle um, to, to combat that. So the only thing that he's done very differently in the last month 
Um, and I think these would be positive. He started using his sinker way more than his four-seamer for the first time in his career. Mm-hmm. His sinker is a better pitch just by peripherals. It's a better ground ball rate, about the same whiff rate, uh, more movement. So I think that was a good move, um, and that may have contributed to his better his better start last time out. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I guess... Um, He's also uh, begun to uh, use his changeup more. So he started using his, in, in sort of mid-July, he started using a changeup more. Also, the, the I want to talk to him about this, but the the movement on the changeup changed. So I think he must have changed his grip in July. I'm going to talk to him about that. Uh, and he stopped using a slider in July. So uh, sometime in July, he made a big difference, a big change. When he started throwing the change more often, he started throwing the slider less, started throwing the sinker more. Um that, that does coincide with um, some struggles that he had, but I don't think that necessarily that means it was a bad idea. He needs he needs to find that extra thing, and if it's the slider and he does like sort of the the Garrett Richards approach, uh, where he has slider curve uh, sinker, um, you know that's okay. That's that 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 works for me. Um, and um, or if he if the changeup gets better, uh, that works for me too. I think he's one step away from being an ace. And if he doesn't ever find that changeup or slider, then he's going to be a little bit park dependent, a little bit sort of second number two, fancy number two kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's yeah, a I like nice Sunday. move to, I like yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, I mean, I like the pitcher. It's, all his all his pitches, no matter how often he's thrown. I mean, I mean, I think at this point, given the samples, um, pretty much all of them, uh, even including changeup slider. Now uh, they they all get fifty more than fifty percent ground balls. I mean, it's just there's a, there's a lot to like besides that. And it seems like he's kind of going through an adjustment period, uh, and that's not a bad thing. So yeah, I mean, I mean, look at the big sample for his change. His whiff rate is it, it's not bad. Uh, you know, nine ten percent is is um, is good. I mean, it's like uh, it, it's not above average, but you know, it's it's uh, it's okay. So it, that could be a little bit better than a show me. Um, and um, you know, maybe it, it is this, the key to his success, or maybe it's the slider, which is uh, also kind of in terms of whiff rate, just below average, uh, but uh, but good enough. So you know. He'll he'll make another jump. I think he's very competitive, and he's uh, you know I read a thing about how he's changed grips on the mound, and I asked him about that, and he said, "Yeah, uh, but I think grips are not important." So then I told him, "Screw you." <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, then I agree. Screw Sonny Gray. And uh, with that, I think we'll move on to the the, uh, the Red Sox have called up uh, Matt Barnes, and this is you know not re- not really much a, much to touch on. We've talked about uh, the Boston pitching prospects on this show a couple of times, and in particular, I mean, you know, obviously loves Henry Owens, and there's a lot to love there. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's definitely understandable. Yeah, like, I'm curious. There's a lot to love because he's a huge guy. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but Matt but but Barnes is uh, I mean he's he's not quite on the prospect level but I'm curious to think I I do I've I've kind of liked Barnes a little bit I'm not sure I mean, he's a right-hander I'm not sure how much um, I'm not gonna he's he's nowhere near uh, Barnes or, I'm sorry 
he's nowhere near Owen's class in terms of uh, prospects. Uh, but uh, well, I, I mean, it's, he might it's, have been. He might have been before he had sort of a down year this year. Yeah, I, I guess that. Yeah, that's. I guess that's kind of what I was getting at and trying to trying to have a difficult way to. And so I guess I started to wonder is this, but, but I mean, like he's he's kind of been around this mid three to low four ERA for the for basically his pro career. Um, and the, the strikeout rate dipped significantly this year. Um, so, you know, basically I started to wonder, okay, is this, is this really more reflective? Because I mean, that's what he, that's kind of what he did in, in, uh, at the advanced class A level as well, uh, was not a real impressive strikeout rate. Um, and as far as I know, um, velocity is supposed to be a big strength of his, so maybe I'm starting to wonder: is this, you know, kind of is is it a straight fastball? Is it a fastball that's good for something else? Hopefully, or is it just a, is this a case of you know people overrating velocity? Uh, well, you know, or maybe just me overrating velocity. <laughs> no, like reading reading a report from Sussman uh, going into the season, um, he says the command is not is not really a strength, and if you look at his his walk numbers. There are um, some okay uh, walk seasons and some not so great ones, but you generally not know from his walk rates that he had a command problem. So um, I think that's something that sometimes uh, surprises us when a guy gets to the major leagues and their walk rate doesn't correspond with what they do in the minor leagues. If they have good stuff and they don't have great command of it in the minor leagues, they can throw it down the middle a little bit more. Um, and I think that that could be why there's some uh, worry about his future. I mean, um, curveball change, uh, decent velocity, uh, you know, has done everything he needs to in the minor leagues in terms of polish, uh, never really had dominant results in the minors, and now he's pitching out of the bullpen. I mean, I, it's the kind of thing I would pick up in a dynasty where um, maybe he got overlooked, maybe you can keep him um, as a prospect in one of your prospect slots or... You know, it's it's something that I would sort of, you know, buy a lottery ticket of and get a share of if I could. Yeah. Um, but um, not necessarily um, telling people to trade for him or, or uh, especially not now. You know, this is the, always the worst time to try and get a guy is when his new when his owner decides he has a bobble. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely it's that's definitely I think a good recommendation. Um, as far as, uh, I mean, I like Barnes's stuff. Uh, I mean, I like the appeal of what look like, what looks like could be Barnes stuff, but he's, uh, there's, there's some definite, uh, uh, a high kind of a high bus, bus rate we're looking at, I guess you're saying. And, uh, I'm not, I'm not quite as, I shouldn't say I'm not quite as excited, but I think, uh, I mean, certainly, uh. Owens, I think I had a little bit of doubt about as well. I mean, I had a little bit of doubt about them, as, uh, about either of them, uh, simply because I don't care for the Red Sox. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but Owens, Owens, I think has started to really distance himself from anybody yeah. in that organization. So. Yeah, in terms of like standout results in the in the minor leagues, uh, which you know you'd think that a guy that you know, I did write about Jacob Degrom and why we missed out on him, but. You know, that's a little bit such a different situation than a Barnes or Owens. Barnes and Owens have been healthy, uh, for a couple of years. They've been in the, in the farm system. They were pitchers in the, in, uh, in college. Uh, DeGrom was a, a shortstop in college that sometimes closed. 
came to the uh, minor leagues and immediately had uh, Tommy John. So, you know, that that sort of thing you can say, okay, we might have missed. But in terms of like Owens and, and Barnes, these guys have, you know, three, four hundred innings of minor league, you know, uninterrupted minor league work. And uh, it's Owens that has, despite worse walk rates um, for the most part than Barnes, it's Owens that has kept his strikeout rate up. And just had standout seasons um, in the minor leagues. I mean, uh, in high A, a two nine two ERA, one fourteen WHIP, eleven strikeouts per nine. Uh, in Double A this year, uh, two sixty ERA, one twelve WHIP, nine nine point four strikeouts per nine. These are the kind of seasons that um, that uh, you know feel more dominant and make you more excited about a guy. And then you know, having having watched him myself, and then. You know, Owens gets a little bit of a tick because if they have similar velocity, Owens is left-handed, um, yeah. and there's and there's just less velocity coming from the left side. So, um, in any case, uh, I would I would rather have Owens and Barnes, but um, I'm always about quantity, man. I yeah. want to <laughs> young pitchers as I can on the same team, and then you know I'll sort it out later. Yeah. That's yeah. Ultimately, that's and that's uh, that seems to be what the Red Sox are doing. At least that's kind of the the approach to the winner. And so it'll be interesting to see how those guys all sort themselves out and whatever veteran they might decide to add to the mix. Because I think they they view themselves certainly as a team that can bounce right back and contend again in 2015. But I don't think certainly that they can do that uh, just by putting you know by having Clay Buckholes head that rotation. That's a that's a great point. I mean. Right now, uh, our depth chart has them as Buckholz, Kelly, De La Rosa, Webster, Workman, Reynaldo. They don't even list Henry Owens and Matt Barnes yet. So, uh, and both of those guys, Henry Owens and Matt Barnes, made it to uh, AAA this year, or, or or spent you know some time at AAA this year, and are by most accounts ready to go. So, you've got uh, what looks like eight pitchers. Uh, Obviously, teams need 10 pitchers a year, but they don't need 10 good pitchers. Like, you know, they can – Brandon Workman, for example, is to me the guy that's your your sixth or seventh starter. The guy sometimes works out of the pen, sometimes in the minor leagues, uh, sometimes is starting for you. I don't – I wouldn't want him as my number five. So I think Workman is easily uh, slotted down. So that makes sort of Ronaldo, Owens, and Barnes competing for – and Webster competing for four and five. Um I, I think that still feels like a lot, and um, but on the other hand, there are very few deals these days where you know uh, in the off season or to beginning to begin a season, a team like the Red Sox says, "Hey, we'll trade you Reynaldo, um, you know <clears throat> Barnes and Workman uh, for your uh, you know your Hamels or something." Right. It, 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 a, if it does happen, it often happens at the deadline, and B, that just doesn't seem to happen as much anymore at all. Uh, and uh, I think they, you know, they may do the thing like the like the um, like the Cubs, you know, and the Cardinals. The Cardinals, everybody's been yelling at them to trade pitching, right? I mean, the, how many Carlos Martinez back deals for Giancarlo Stanton have you heard? So it's like, you know, you, you think that they're going to do it. They never did it. I don't think they will do it uh, because arms fall apart. And everyone's been yelling at the Mets and the Cubs to make a deal. And they haven't done it because the the Cubs think we can find pitching and the Mets think we can find hitting probably. So 
To me, it looks like the Red Sox have assembled, like you said, quantity. They have a ton of arms, and they're going to just let them all fight it out. And uh, and they've actually seemingly done that in the outfield. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, that makes them a hard. It makes it a hard team to to bet on for fantasy. I mean, it, it, it makes it, does, it makes yeah. the yeah it makes you have like sort of high upside things. Like if you bet on Mookie Betts next year and he beats out Resnick Castillo, you know that could almost win you a league. So, um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be difficult prognosticating on the Red Sox going into next season, I think. Yep. Yep. More reasons for people to dislike the Red Sox. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> Shift, shifting attention to the bullpen, uh, Drew Storen has earned saves on back to back days with uh, clean efforts and actually I think like five five strikeouts in his two innings to get those saves as well. So that's a little out of the ordinary for him, especially this season. Uh, but clearly looks like the front runner for saves rest of season in the Washington bullpen. Although um, I think the only reason that to really note it, he looks like the easy favorite for saves rest of season. And there's really no reason that Washington should look to switch gears from him at least, uh, you know, this week. But, uh, didn't note that uh, Matt Williams was quoted as saying that Rafael Soriano had a couple of or had a good bullpen session. I guess they're they're, they're clearly trying to work some things out with him. Uh, and he is that veteran type that is making a whole bunch of money. I, I believe his contract is after this season, so it doesn't I think, really. I think they actually have an option. Okay, they Wait. have an option for next year. So, but it's got to be really expensive because the contract was really expensive. So yeah, it's like fifteen a year or something. So yeah, I. I I'd, they might I'd, spend it elsewhere. Store. I mean, you know, I've always been a Storin uh, supporter, and I, I hope it's not because he went to Stanford. But um, you know, the the and I always thought that Soriano's arm was about to fall off, just because Soriano has a history of arm problems. He's had up and down whiff rates and velocity and strikeout rates, but this year uh, looks like a pretty vintage Soriano year. I mean, you know, and he's now done. He's now actually, despite me thinking that this was a really dumb deal. Uh, he's now managed, he'll probably manage three straight years of 60 innings uh, with a good ERA, good whip, and about a strikeout per inning. I mean, that's that's an average uh, back-end uh, reliever, uh, you know, which maybe shouldn't cost 15 a year, but, uh, you know, this is what this is what contending teams do, uh, you know, to, to, to put that capper on. So I think that he might actually make his way back. Uh, despite the fact that I've been yelling for this switch uh, for a while. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think, um, well, you do you mean make his way back uh, in 2015 or uh, this season? I think even this season. Huh? I mean, I guess uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised uh, to see how great Storen's year has been by ERA or WHIP, but, um, you know, in terms of strikeouts, and, and managers seem to prefer strikeouts in the in the closing position. Uh, you know, Soriano's still out in front, and you know, for what it's worth, the, his manager has thrown Drew Storen under the bus before, uh, and I don't know if it yeah, is worth a lot. That what? But that was, uh, I believe, that was um... last year. Yes, <laughs> was that uh, Just so long ago? <laughs> but. Uh... Matt, is, it, is this Matt Williams? Oh, that's right. That's this is Matt right. Williams' first year. It's a new manager. Davey Johnson? I can't remember. Davey Johnson. The bus. I could not remember that fellow's name. The skipper. That could that could mean something. That's true. That's true. 
I mean, I, so I, I hate to think about it too much as a fan base because I know as, as a fan base, I've heard a lot of like Drew Storen will never close to this team stuff. But, um, you know, uh, he did, you know, save 43 games for them in 2011, and he's been uh, a good reliever every year except for one. Um, and we all know about the sample sizes when it comes to relievers. So I <clears throat> I don't know. I, I throw my hands up in the air. You know, I, you know Soriano has the strikeouts that you would expect uh, from your closer. Storin, uh, at this point, has better velocity and is just having a better year. Um, I think they just got to both be owned at this point. I, I'm not dropping uh, Soriano yet. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be a rush to think. It would It would be... It would not be prudent to, to rush out and, and drop Soriano if you need something. If you're desperate and you need the roster spot, I suppose that would be a possibility. Storin has doubled his changeup usage. I'm not sure what that means, uh, but perhaps it's a pitch that he commands better or locates better because he is, I mean, certainly it seems to be that control has, has been a primary focus of his considering the way his strikeout rate is job dropped in conjunction with his walk rate. Uh, but overall, the, the, the results have been... Suddenly, though, it's his best pitch. I mean, um, in terms of whiff rates, uh, it's kind of crazy, actually. His, his, the whiff rates on the changeup for his career are, are much better than the whiff rates on his slider. Um, and yet he's chosen not to, not to throw it much, as much. Um, and, uh, he gets higher swing rates on the, uh, on the changeup than the slider. Uh, I don't know if he's just been keeping this in his back pocket for a long time, or if he if he made some sort of change to that changeup. That uh, that is interesting to me. Excellent, excellent. Well, <clears throat> I think that that it's something to keep an eye on. It, it, I mean, regardless, it seems like Tyler Clippard, Clippard, the uh, fellow that folks have long been screaming, deserves to be the closer in that role uh, in that on that team. Seems like he's going to continue to lose uh, or lose out. Yeah. Joe Nathan experiencing some right elbow tenderness. It turns the uh, the report says uh, in the last couple of days and has been unavailable. Um, that's just nothing. Uh, sounds to me like nothing more than uh, more old man disease popping up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, except in this case, it's it's health related. But uh, overall, I mean, the results are still overall not good. He's had the, he's had some cleaner appearances lately. Right. You know, they say that he's not, a, he wasn't available, but I thought I saw him pitch yesterday. Uh, you know what? I didn't even check that. I just took their word for it. Um, yeah. Maybe they're it's a bunch strange. of lion sons of guns. Well, I mean, here we go. Uh, last outing, uh, 9-8. Yeah, he pitched yesterday. Didn't look very good, but he got out of the inning. Uh, no strikeouts, no walks, no hits. So, clean slate, but I... I, he, well, he, he ran uh, up yeah, okay. ball counts and, you know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't think he looked any better. You know, the, you know, Saria's coming back. Um, I think that Saria, uh, will, will, will factor in this season. I don't know if he'll get us, you know, saves, but he should get some holds. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Joe Nathan's, uh, next contract will be an interesting one. <laughs> will there be a next contract? I think yeah. is the question. Um, it's, it's yeah, it's. I think that 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 will be the question. Uh, is the deal with Detroit one year or two? Now that you bring that up, I think it was two. Okay, so two years. Uh, but it was two. It was. Uh, they happened. Uh, this was the option year. Is that possible? 
I'm I'm thinking I think uh, Texas declined that. That might be old salary uh, information. That might be that might be one to pass on to Paul. I saw his post. Signed by yeah, at the bottom of the page you've got it. Signed by the Tigers for uh, nine million this year, ten million next year. There we go. Uh, well, so they'll still have him around, but you know it may not be as the closer. I mean, um, in terms of the problem is though that they don't have the greatest cast around. And Al Albuquerque, I like. Uh, but he really has a, a poor idea of where the ball is going. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's kind of a roogie in terms of slot and, and, and you know, uh, pitch mix. Uh, Blaine Hardy, I don't – he doesn't strike me as uh, as having what it takes. Jabba Chamberlain, you know, I've liked, and the slider recovered its bite, and he has a hold over the last 14 days. He's obviously a late-inning guy, uh, and he's recovered – uh, some of what he lost, uh, before, um, you know, in terms of command, uh, swing strike rate, a lot of that stuff's back. Um, I don't think that he would be a top end closer if he was made a closer. Uh, but still has 94 mile an hour gas, um, with a ton of sliders and this year a ton of curveballs. It's just, uh, you know, I think it's more about health with him. If he stays healthy next year, I think he could close for them. Yeah, that would be an interesting arrangement. Uh, don't rule out Jim Johnson. Man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's Actually, no, I mean, you know, what if he ends up in Florida, ends up closing in front of uh, <laughs> guys that are better than him? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, another man with uh, the Joe Nathan disease. Actually, it's the other way around. Nathan uh, developed the case of the Latroy Hawkins disease, but Hawkins has uh, blown two save opportunities in a row and uh, we, we've been waiting for that, to, those wheels to come off. I think it's a little late in the season for that to happen, but it's, uh, it's worth noting for those. And, and, uh, I want to talk about it because Adam, Adam Adovino, uh, our favorite to eventually inherit that role from Hawkins has kind of turned things around. He had off to a fantastic start this season and is tip, that's typically been the case for him. And then it just, not long after he, we started talking about him as the guy that should be getting the save opportunities there, things went to hell in a handbasket for him for the next month, month and a half. Uh, but uh, he has turned things around. It, I, I think I it's. To, I talked to both those guys when they were in town. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ottavino is actually a big fan of Fangraphs, and he came and found me uh, when he when he heard me talk to somebody. I think. <clears throat> and um, and you know we were talking about his season and, and what he needs to do to succeed. And um, he told me that uh, he was in the same farm system with Lou Gregerson, I think in the Cardinals. And um, <clears throat> he told me that, uh, that, that uh, Gregerson, he was there when Gregerson decided that he needed a second slider or a third slider to, um, to keep batters off balance. And then he said that when he saw Gregerson do that, he did it himself. So he actually showed me his grips. Um, he has uh, basically uh, a, a similar grip for both, but a little bit different way of releasing, where one, uh, he comes around the side of the ball and gets kind of a frisbee slider, and the other one he kind of tries to stay on top of a little bit more and gets more of a curveball-type slurve slider. And um, he says, you know, he can use one, he can use a sort of more up-down one uh, a little bit more against lefties. Uh, but he, he echoed the same stuff that we all know about, which is um, if he can bury that in the back foot of a left-hander, uh, his slider, 
then he's good. Uh, when he doesn't, it's a home run. Um, so he said that, uh, you know, he, he wonders how a guy like Steve Sishek does it uh, himself. So he actually, that was my promise to him was that I would look into this sort of thing and I'll, and I'll have to try and figure it out. And maybe he's figured something out or maybe, um, you know, actually I showed him a grip. Oh my gosh, it'd be amazing. I need to look at this right now. I showed him, uh, Tim Hudson's, uh, split, uh, split finger change. It's not a split finger. It's, um, if you look at the Tim Hudson piece, Tim Hudson actually holds the ball with his, uh, pinky and his index finger on the sides and then his two fingers on top. And it's, it's, he says he gets kind of split finger action on his changeup with that pitch. Uh, but he, you know, it's not, I don't know if it's not stressful or something, but he just, he uses that when he wants to, you know, wants just a regular changeup. And then he goes to split finger grip when he wants a whiff on two strikes. And Ottavino said that he's been trying different changeup grips. He's tried many of them. Split fingers make his elbow hurt. Um, so I showed him that Tim Hudson, um, uh, I showed him that Tim Hudson, uh, grip. And I said, you know, why don't you try this one? So, Right now, I'm uh, calling up his page uh, to see if there's anything uh, coming about uh, increased change-up usage recently. And no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little too soon for that. Yeah. I That's something that to keep... Brother, they were just here, but, uh... Yeah, it's a little... I mean, those things don't happen overnight, but I would keep an eye on it next year. I tell you what, uh, then I would write him a letter or uh, maybe even get yourself an agent or a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Hey Adam, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say that I'm totally responsible for the way your season is gone, but uh, I think I'm. I think, next contract. <laughs> yeah, but I'm partially responsible, and I'd like to get a cut. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I you know, if you look at his his stuff, basically, uh, he uses a slider. Uh, he kind of is almost a little backwards type pitcher where he uses slider as much as a four seamer. Um, recently, he's been using the sinker more. That actually could be a changeup. Um, you know, depending sure. on, uh, you know, how it's being picked up, um, in the, the velocity on it, on a sinker is 97. I doubt that's a changeup. <laughs> velocity on the sinker is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 95, 97. So that's not, uh, okay. My dear, my dreams have been dashed, but, uh, you know, he's got, he's got, he's got three pitches. In, if you call the four scene, the sinker and the slide are different pitches. He's got four pitches if you call the slider two pitches. He has an he has an idea of how to get lefties out, but it's obviously the issue he has as any other fastball slider guy. Uh but you know, um uh, I like him better. I you know, I talked to Latroy Hawkins um at the same time and I expected Latroy to give me some sort of I may have made reference to this on a past podcast. I expected Latroy to give me some sort of uh insight into how he's made it all work. Uh <laughs> And he basically said, oh, I just, you know, I had a good year with the Mets and they needed a closer. And I was like, uh, okay, so you could have closed your whole career? And he's like, I don't know. I haven't always been good. <laughs> like, well, did you change anything to be better? He's like, no. <laughs> like, okay. You know, I hate to, I, I don't want to be ever be biased against a player for not being as smart as I want him to be. Um, or not to be, or to tell me as much as I want them to tell me. But if you pair that sort of attitude with the fact that he has one of the lowest strikeout rates ever for a closer, <laughs> um, in the modern closer era, 
and then pair that with a you know averageish ground ball rate. Um, you know, the only thing that stands out on his on his record is is good command. So I don't think that's enough. I don't think you can get by on good command, average walk rate, one of the worst strikeout rates uh, among your peers. So. I think this one was going to happen eventually. And I think he might, in the end, he might be right, basically. I just had, you know, a couple good years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, Hawkins is, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't signed for closer money, even if if he thinks that's why they brought him in. And uh, it's an option for next season for the same amount with a quarter of a million dollar buyout. He has a, it's a $2.5 million contract that he's on this year. And basically it's the same as next year if they exercise the option or, no, I'm sorry. Two, yeah, two and a quarter million, and it's a quarter million dollar buyout. So, um, I mean, he's not an expensive guy, but uh, there's been a lot of unrest lately with the Colorado front office, and that particularly has even come from Troy Tulowitzki. Sometimes teams pay attention to stuff like that, and that doesn't seem like. I mean, Hawkins well, is okay. Bucks. They're gonna bring him back. It just yeah. to, it doesn't mean he'll be the closer next year. I don't know. Right. Out of you know, uh, yeah. It, Adovino looks like the guy that should be doing that job, I think, um, yeah. eventually. And maybe next season he actually enters with that role. Because I, this this past season, he wasn't really given a lot of credence. He wasn't given any credence or any possibility really to creep into it. It was basically his Hawkins or brother's going to be the guy. Right. So next season might be a totally different story, whereas this year we were just speculating on the hope that they would eventually give him a shot. Mm-hmm. Maybe Adovino... <laughs> Next year comes in on a lot of empty, uh, you know, uh, bases empty situations, three runs up, um, and uh, actually has a, you know, a, an okay batting average on balls of play for the first time in his career. I mean, it's kind of crazy that his career batting average on balls of play is 330. I mean, without that, um, you know, he'd be, uh, I think people would would recognize how much better he is, and uh, like, pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just we'll touch on a couple. The only other closer situation, well, there's you could you could say that there's something going on in Houston, but there's not really much to say about Houston anymore. Uh, but the the and Eric O'Flaherty, he blew a save on Monday for the A's. Uh, he's also he was also unavailable for a couple of days. Had been dealing with lower back tightness. Maybe he looks to blame it on that. Uh, he gave up a a, bom- a bomb of a home run to. Well, Actually, I can't even call it a bomb. It was the Tyler Flowers, uh, and it was, but it was at the cell, and it was only about eight rows deep. So um, that actually might not have gone out of some little league ballparks. But uh, Ryan Cook is also struggling, and Sean Doolittle seems like he's due back here sometime in the next several days. So uh, there's not really much to get excited about, even if the A's look to mix and match. Uh, it's not really anything. There's not enough time for that to matter to you, except unless you were a Doolittle owner. So. Um, Symposium. I think I mean I I think for what's worth there right now in 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 Oakland deciding deciding whether or not he even throws one more time uh, practice before he comes back. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a little bit of urgency now right now, and I think Doolittle may just be back uh, any like you know today tomorrow you know that sort of thing. Yes, that is certainly a possibility. Uh, a number of other encouraging things on the injury front. Uh, uh, so I'll just touch on them real quick. Greg Holland sounds like he's uh, with a sore triceps. Sounds like he is back tonight, uh, possibly. Daniel Murphy has been activated from the disabled list. Uh, originally, it sounded like his strain cap was more serious uh, than than it turned out to be. Uh, Everett Cabrera, uh, despite the DUI uh, with strained hamstring, uh, this weekend sounds like it's a, po- a good possibility that he'll be back. Henderson Alvarez with a strained oblique. 
expected to return Friday, and John Jaso uh, with a concussion uh, could be back late this week, with uh, or at least receive medical clearance, in which case he would be back. But it sounds like he is going to be only doing pinch hitting duties for the rest of the season, for the most part. Um, so not really. If in case you were holding on to him, there's uh, I think there's little reason to do so anymore, uh, at least in redrafters or anything of that nature. Uh, you know. And- the uh, the thing about Jason that's it's crazy is that he didn't tell the team that he had a concussion. Yeah, because uh, he had, he he came up he kind of came up with the uh, hey I've been feeling these symptoms for a couple of weeks and then they started to get worse I guess. Yeah, and he he told me that they got so bad at one point that he couldn't see the ball. Oh yeah, that's a problem. So I think that's a, a great clue that he would not be catching again this year. <laughs> uh, especially the fact that they have like 18 other uh, catchers on that roster. Yeah. When they, what, what's that, John? You can't see the ball. Well, we're going to go trade for four more catchers. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I think it's a little bit sad. Um, <clears throat> you know, he was, he did it for all the right reasons, which was that he wanted to, um, he wanted to, uh, help the team. push for the team. You know, he wanted yeah. <laughs> playoff push. He wanted to stay in there. He thought he was go- he was going to help the team. Um, and so I guess that's that's a quote unquote right reason. But he's paying for it now, and I and I think he knows it from the way that he talked to me about what's going on right now and the recovery process and how bad it's been. I think he knows that it's been worse for him um, this recovery process because he played through it. Um, and, um, so I think he, he's probably, uh, quote unquote learned his lesson, but, um, in terms of, uh, what it means for his owners and stuff and, and, and for, for, uh, as he means, he's, he's very hard to depend on for the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And bef- before we go, I just wanted to touch real quickly. We've been asked about Danny Duffy on Twitter, um, about his pitch peripherals and, Hey, it doesn't seem like he's pitching. Uh, I mean, he seems like he's pitching well above his head. Uh, and you know, we're asked about whether uh, it, the, the, basically is he is he another one of these pop up pitchers, a guy who consistently induces the pop ups. And I mean, judging from I mean, from what I've seen, uh, just from looking at his numbers, I think it's fair to say that uh, there's a there's very real likelihood that he is that type of pitcher. Uh, I'm interested to hear also Eno's take on that. I think that uh, I'm, I, I've I've always kind of been a, a Danny Duffy apologist in the sense that I like I like some of what I've seen, although I found it hard to describe until recently. I've, and that, well, after watching some of his starts this year, the way he's, he, I mean, he's really improved fastball command that uh, uh, that uh, that I really liked it. It was it's not necessarily the most devastating looking pitch because he doesn't always rack up the strikeouts, but um, I think we're starting to see more statistical evidence of why that might be, even if it's harder to explain or not necessarily the the explanations we're used to seeing. Yeah, I mean, when Sam Fold pointed out that the, that uh, pitchers who have rise on their ball uh, make it very difficult um, on him, and then I went out and looked at the rise ball pitchers, and there were so many guys where you kind of were like, oh, you know, like Jared Weaver, 87, but it sort of, it, it, ends up two or three inches higher um, than most people think, you know, uh, in terms of the, the average sort of uh, the average fastball project trajectory. There are these guys that, that can that can finish on the ball in a certain way, and the ball sort of rises instead of uh, dropping that last two inches. So 
Um, you know, uh, Chris Young said that um, he learned it from Kurt Schilling. He said that Kurt Schilling told him that his finger should almost uh, smack the the seams on the on the slider as they let go. Um, and he said that he just really tries to pull down on those seams on the four seam, um, and that the more he does that, the more rise he gets. And you know, Doolittle told me that he has to be very careful about his stride because he can't be too far out in front of his stride. He wants to really finish that ball so that he gets the right, upward rise. McGee had stuff that he said about it. These are all guys where you're like, how do you, you know, how do you throw an A7 on our fastball and win? How do you, uh, how do you throw a fastball 90% of the time and win? And uh, it seems that rise is part of that. And one thing that Duffy has, maybe not to the extent of some of the more extreme guys, but he does have rise on his fastball. It's almost an inch and a half to two inches more rise than a regular fastball. And he's got a ton of infield flies this year. And uh, so infield flies we talked about are, are, are semi-sticky. Um, and uh, it could be a real skill. The thing that I just worry about is that there's no pitch for him that's above average by whiff rate. So there's no pitch that's above average by whiff rate, and only the curve is above average by grounders. So basically we're talking about a guy who can use his curve for grounders but doesn't really have a sinker, um, is going to be depending on the infield fly, which is in terms of bulk volume, um, you don't get as many infield flies as you do strikeouts. So Duffy, you know, and, and if he's a four-seam curve guy and he's not really um, going to really broaden his arsenal, uh, I think he'll run into this stuff that we're talking about with Sonny Gray, where people are starting to eliminate pitches and uh, and figure out ways to, to, to hit against him. Um, it works right now because the average four-seam uh, velocity out of a lefty is 90.5, and he's a 93.5, so got a lot of velocity, um, got some rise on that ball, got a good curve ball. I wouldn't say it's excellent. I wouldn't even put it uh, up there with Sonny Gray's, I don't think. And he definitely doesn't have the natural command of a Sonny Gray. Um, so, you know, if we're going to compare these two guys, because there are some things you could use to compare them, I would take Sonny Gray, even though he's the right-hander, because uh, Duffy has this long history of bad command um, and these weird uh, pitch peripherals. But, you know, noticing that Duffy had a, a rise ball uh, did sort of make me feel better about him today. Yeah, well, I think there a couple of things you said. First of all, I mean, it's he's consistently gotten the, especially, I mean, yeah, with the four-seam fastball uh, or the, the, the quote-unquote the rise ball, um, he's consistently gotten that, especially with that pitch, uh, gotten the infield fly balls in previous seasons. You know, the year he didn't was in 2013, uh, and that was the year he was coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um and there was just there's a there was a lot different. I mean, there was a lot less movement on his pitches. Period. And so command is it's not unusual, obviously, for pitchers coming back from that to experience command issues. Um, but yeah, the the lack of strikeouts that seems damning. Is, is it possible? I mean, it seems like he's the kind of guy who be might be a candidate to need needs where he needs to develop. And this is an amateur guess, but say a two seam two seamer like kind of alter the. Um, alter that i guess in the sense that like i mean he is so dependent on a four seamer that's just uh velocity and pop-up dependent uh not to the not that a two seamer will become a strikeout pitch for him but we'll kind of uh, counter that but anyway I, I think that he's yeah long term he doesn't seem to be quite nearly as attractive as a as a as a sunny gray that's for sure 
Um, he he remains a little. Well, he has he's had more injury risk, uh, more injury situations than Gray. So sure. Uh, in terms of projecting projecting future, well, I'm I'm surprised by this though. I just looked at uh, Duffy's uh, pitches this year, and um, he's thrown the sinker, change, slider, and curve all between about 220 and 300 times this year. Um, so even though we think of him as a two-pitch guy, um, he's thrown these other pitches. As, as long as, you know, these aren't being picked up incorrectly, he's thrown these other pitches. Um, just, they're like, you know, just below where you sort of register them. I mean, the sinker, 8%, the slider, um, you know, uh, it's, it's 4% this last month. Uh, for the year, uh, the slider is 10%. So he's got these three pitches he throws 10% of the time. And, you know, one of them, the slider looks a little bit like the curve, um, and could totally be the curve, actually. So if he doesn't have a separate slider, then he's, you know, four seam, um, curve change. Um, but they all just don't look that good. I mean, they just, in terms of results, they don't look that good. I don't, I, 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 I don't, uh, I'm not so worried. I had Duffy on that team where I had Arietta, Richards, uh, Keichel, Chavez. Casco, yeah. Chavez. I had Duffy on that team. I traded him, I traded him for Jared Dyson and I, I don't even, it doesn't keep me awake at night. I, I'm not, I'm yeah, not sad about it. Yeah, that's, that's definitely understandable. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the kind of league where, you know, you have to pay that sort of thing to get out, to get, uh, batters, so. You know, I, I know what I did, and I, I don't feel that bad about it. I feel like I'll get a new guy. Uh, look at my piece that's up today. I, I would, I'd love to hear what you guys think about Randall Delgado. I'm going to go and try and hopefully talk to him at the, at the park today. He has uh, added a slider, which is amazing. Um, it's a, a really good slider, and he never thrown it before. He's always had a great changeup. I mean, to me, and he right now he has 94-mile-an-hour gas. To me, he's... Uh, Carlos Carrasco part two. So, um, and he's in the national league. So, uh, you know, there's, I think there's always a pitcher around the next corner. <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably the lesson takeaway from it. Most, most of all is like, it, you don't have to, don't, don't sit around waiting on it or don't sit around and, uh, be hoping that Danny Duffy is going to be a guy who continues to, to out pitch, uh, expectations when, uh, you can always find the next guy who, who might do that. So. And I think that is uh, that is going to take us out of this episode of The Sleeper and the Bust, episode number 165. Uh, I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and joining me, uh, as always, has been Eno Saris. Eno, thank you very much again. I love you all. <laughs> and they love you, undoubtedly. So and we thank you all again for joining us and. Once again, we're looking forward to doing some uh, some more request talk uh, in future episodes as we get out of this 2014 season. And thank you very much for joining us for The Sleeper and the Bust. Sleeper and the Bust.